This morning we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 15, and I've titled this, Jesus' Love for the Lost. Luke 19.10 has this uh, broad statement that Jesus makes about the whole book of Luke, really. He says, for the Son of Man, that's the, the title he gives to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. So as we're looking at the book of Luke this next few weeks, we're calling this whole series The Least, Last, and Lost, because that's who Jesus is going to interact with and talk about. How many of you out there have um, ever in your life, life lost something valuable? Okay, how many of you then found that later? Um, my, my wife, Adrian, uh, her engagement ring um, has three diamonds on it. I mean, they're gigantic diamonds, right? Because I was so generous. Uh, but early on, when we were uh, married in Colorado in our apartment there, uh, she realized one day that the, one of the side diamonds was gone from her ring. She's working as a nurse that time and thought, oh, maybe from putting on gloves and taking off gloves at the hospital, it, it fell off there. And so kind of looked around at her workplace, looked in her car. Um, you know, she began to uh, vacuum our apartment with a pantyhose over the hose novel to, you know, vacuum, look, vacuum, look, um, prayed, and then just kind of felt like, okay, I need to stop vacuuming my entire house over and over again and do something else, maybe do some different kind of cleaning. And it's just been a few days later then that this thing has been lost. She decided to clean the, the shower. And while she is cleaning the shower, behind one of the shampoo bottles was the diamond. I don't know how it got there. I don't know how, I mean, just some sort of angel just like, boop, boop, put it there, you know. Um, in this chapter this morning, we're going to hear three stories from Jesus about this lost, found, um, and really this idea that, that Jesus has this love for the lost and that they are even more valuable than, than diamonds or jewels or anything else. And one of these stories is going to be really, really familiar to you, but I want you to see it in the full context too. But but if Jesus has this, this love for lost people, he cares for them, seeks them out, then we probably should too. So we're going to look at the first seven verses here, Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus, to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now just pause with me here, these first two verses. I, I said context is really important. So many times we, we just kind of skip over or go to certain verses or certain stories we know that are familiar. But there are three groups here. There's Jesus Group one, group two. And there's this amazing reversal happening with one group. You know, think back way to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned and their first thing they do is they, they hide from God. But here we have sinners, we have prostitutes that are 
drawing near to Jesus to hear from him. That, that's great, right? That's good. But there's this second group that hates it. The Pharisees, the scribes, these are all religious, Jewish pastors, priests, the elders of that time in the, the church, the temple, the religious setting. And they are grumbling, they hate it. What, what is this guy doing? What is Jesus doing with people like this drawing near to hear him? This man, he receives sinners and he eats with them even. And this has happened often in Jesus' ministry, even in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, he, he meets a, a, a tax collector named Levi, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus gives this answer. He says, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are Sick, or, or in Luke 7, 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He is feasting and hanging out with and, and being with these people so much that he's being accused of being a drunk, being a partier, being a, a glutton, all of these things. I... I sometimes wonder what would happen if we would be happy to have those type of people in our own church. Or if you came and found our, our staff or elders hang out with those types of people, that the category of kind of sinners, prostitutes. I mean, what if, what if you came on a Sunday morning one time and there's just this whole section here of prostitutes. Uh, this whole section of, you know, we'll fill in the blank, homosexual, gay, queer, transgender athletes, whatever it is, or even just, you know, a slightly different direction, people who are unlike us, not necessarily bad, sinful, but what if you came, there's this whole giant section at church of ESL, English, second language, Hispanic, refugees, Ukrainian, Russian, or what if it's, you know, homeless, unshowered, smelling of alcohol, you know, not a lot of teeth. I mean, you just found us every week at our church, elder staff, this is who we are meeting with. Jesus then begins to teach these grumbling Pharisees, religious folk, with these three stories. Look at this first story he says in verse 3 then. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In each of these three stories, we're going to see this lost found, this rejoicing, uh, repentance, 
a searching for somebody. And there's going to be these three characters, just like we have Jesus, the Pharisees, scribes, sinners, tax collectors. So if you look at Jesus' heart, his love, that's the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus rejoices when sinners are found. Such a great picture, illustration here of this shepherd with a hundred sheep and one percent of his sheep goes missing. Just one goes missing and he goes off looking for this sheep. Just yesterday I was over at High V in the morning before it got kind of crazy uh, with my kids. We were waiting for a prescription. We were kind of just, okay, what do we do now? And I said to my kids, um, okay, we're going to play a little game. I I want you to see who can be the first person to recognize somebody at High V. Because we always see someone we know at High V. And let's go searching for them, right? And not like two seconds after I said that, my daughter says, Look, there's the one that got baptized last week. And sure enough, there was there was Kelly right there with, with her son Willie. And we searched around then for High V like the rest of the time and if you know me, like, I know the kitchen folk over there. And so my, my oldest is like, Dad, I know where you're going. You're just going to the kitchen because you know all them. It's like, yeah. But there's this, this searching. The shepherd goes and he, he brings the sheep on his shoulders. And he is so happy, rejoicing. He tells everyone there's this party in heaven. This is the image that, that is kind of given throughout Scripture of God being this shepherd and caring this way. I mean, even in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These are all the, the, the priests, the even kings. and Say to them, even of the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And then verse 6, with you know, none to search or seek for them. And then jump to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bring up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Isaiah 40 also, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This awesome picture here of heaven, of God rejoicing over one, one repenting. It begs the question for us, is that your stance? Is that what you kind of naturally do when you find someone maybe who you don't like or an enemy who then comes to God, who turns their life around? Are you rejoicing with God in heaven? Now, why, why does God get joy from this. This is an interesting idea, right? That God gets joy from us. Why? Why does this give him 
joy. Well, I think Jesus explains that a little bit more in the next parable he tells. Look at verse 8 through 10. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So point two, Jesus finds value in the lost. That's why he gets joy over those that come back to him or repent, because we have inherent value. Now, this is very similar to the previous parable, right? Again, there's a, a seeking, there's a lost, there's a found, there's joy. But think of the, the value here. Think of the length that, they, that she goes to find this coin. There's uh, silver coins, very valuable, and she loses one, and, and she, she lights a lamp. She, she sweeps the entire house. She's seeking diligently until she finds it because this thing is precious to her. I, I can be a, a big nerd sometimes, and I like Lord of the Rings, and this idea of value and worth reminds me of this phrase, my precious it comes up a lot of times, Lord of the Rings, about the one ring. And there's this scene, the movie, where one character is searching all over his house, just looking, you know, getting things thrown out of the cupboards under his bed for the one ring. That's this, my precious, that he calls it. Just this past uh, New Year's, we, we went on a trip to South Carolina, to the beach, um, I'd recommend always going to the beach uh, during winter in Iowa. But we went to the beach and got a phone call from my wife saying uh, that my youngest son had buried his sandal in the sand. Now, sandals are good only if you have both of them, right? I mean, one sandal is not that great. But James, my youngest, he's just playing, burying the sandal. He's going to find it. Well, he buries it, walks away, and realizes, I don't know where the sandal went. And they spent a long time looking for this sandal, and we don't know where this sandal is to this day. So if you're there in Hilton Head, let us know if you find his sandal. I mean, sandal's one thing. It's not as valuable, right? But this is the value idea that, that Jesus sees in us. You are valuable, you are worth something. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. Deuteronomy 7, God says this. You're a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. <laughs> he says, it's not because you are more in number that he set his love on you and chose you for you're the fewest of all the people. It's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore. He chose you because he loves you. Or in Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In verse 4, because you are precious in my eyes. 
all of us are made in the image of God. We have inherent value and worth. One of the words, the ideas that's always just kind of come natural to me is this idea of shepherding as a pastor. That's, that's my heart. That's my, my love for you guys, that you guys are valuable and worthy and precious. And um, I don't tell you this story to, to brag or anything, but I tell you this because this is my, my, my heart as a shepherding pastor. It, it hurts me when I read that earlier Ezekiel 34 passage about these shepherds, these priests, these pastors who are just feeding themselves and, and, and feeding off of the sheep there, um, not really shepherding. I'm sure we're all going to have, you know, stories from, from last night of where you were or wreckage and all that. And, um, you know, our, our house, our family was, was fine last night. We, we had a, um, a door sensor go off at the church at one point, so I wasn't sure what was going on. And I came over here and we had a few trees down, that kind of thing. But as I'm uh, out kind of driving, um, you know, got a call that, there was someone that uh, maybe had some need in our church on their roof. And so I um, kind of headed toward that direction and ended up being stopped because there were power lines down and so having to kind of maneuver that and then ended up on top of a roof helping. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not a carpenter or a, a roofer. I, I held a flashlight last night. Um, I don't know if you guys felt that wind last night too, but like we were moving some boards and if I would have just done like this, I could have like flown away back to my house probably. Um, but I, I, I tell you not to, to, to brag or anything, but just to say this is my heart for you as a shepherd. And that's one small little piece of Jesus' heart for you that he finds you valuable and loves you. So, if, if we are so valuable in God's eyes, made in his image, this next point seems crazy backwards. Jesus allows sin to wreck us. Here's the third really familiar story that we're going to hear this morning. Um, I, I want you to try and listen with kind of fresh fresh ears to all that we've talked about so far, remembering our context, verses 1 and 2. But Jesus allows us to wreck ourselves, to sin, to wreck us. Verse 11, And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into these fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Remember 
context, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is surrounded by two groups, right? In our story here, there are a person and two groups, older brother, younger brother. The younger brother basically says to dad, I want you dead. When a, a father would die, the oldest son would get about two-thirds of the property of the inheritance, and the younger son would get about one-third. So the, the younger son basically says to dad, um, I don't care about you. I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. I don't want any relationship with you. Just give me what's coming to me. <laughs> now, normally in that context, a Middle Eastern father would have beat the son and been like, no, get out of here. Go back and work in the field. But, but the story says the father divided his, it's actually the word life, his bios, biology, life, divided his life between them. And the younger son goes off. He squanders everything. He's reckless. He's going partying. He, he's with prostitutes, all kinds of things. He spends everything. And then look what happens. A, a severe famine comes in the land, and he begins to be in need. He's never been in need in his entire life. He's richer than he's ever been in his entire life, and all of a sudden something happens. And this is, this is God's sovereignty, right? He is working behind the scenes, um, helping him to wake up maybe, to begin to be in need. So he, he, he goes to someone and just kind of, okay, I need to get a job. He, he gets hired to work with pigs, which is, which is awful and terrible to any, any Jewish person. Pigs were not great, and so this is even t more terrible. And so he's working with pigs and just longs to be eating and be fed by the, the gross pig food, the pods that they are eating, and nobody cares about him. That's what the text says. And no one gave him anything. God allows us to wreck ourselves sometimes. God allows sin that we hold on to so tightly to expand and show us how terrible and awful it is in our life. Romans chapter 1 it has this phrase over and over again that, that talks about this. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26 again, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And verse 28 again, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Did you hear that repeated phrase? God gives us up sometimes over to our own sinfulness. And then even in verse 32, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but 
give approval to those who practice them. Why does God allow this? Why does he allow sin just to wreck us and take over? I mean, I'm sure I could ask a lot of you here, if this has ever happened to you in your own life, where you've hit rock bottom. I've, I found this, this prayer, it's kind of a, a poem that, that helps me to understand it better. It's from the book called The Valley of Vision. This very first one, it's called The Valley of Vision. It says, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is a victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, the valley is the place of vision. I love this image here. Lord, in the daytime, Stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter the, thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, my, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Sometimes God lets us go through these things to let us see life for what it really is. And that's what happens to our younger son in this story. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This younger son has this moment of clarity. He wakes up to his situation. He's in there with the pigs and he creates this plan in his head. Okay, I, I will go back to my dad and I will earn my way back. I, I don't even want to be a son. I'm not even worthy of that. I'll just I'll work, earn my way back into his house at least. He even says this, that he's not worthy enough. He doesn't even see value in himself. Um, Okay, this is, this is going to date me again. Okay, let me, Josh, you're younger than me. Have you seen the movie Wayne's World? No, he is not. 
In the movie Wayne's World, there's a scene where they meet a lot of rock stars and say, we are not worthy. Does that make sense to you? Good, okay. Whew. You guys remember that scene, right? Wayne's World, they're just like, we are not worthy. This is the same sense that he just feels not worthy at all to be back in his father's house. Tim Keller has this great book that's called The Prodigal God. We often hear this story is called the prodigal son. And we, we take that word prodigal as this son that goes off and then comes back. But that word prodigal really means lavish, extravagant. And there's this twist here, right, where this, this, this father sees the son coming from a long way off. Now just put yourself in dad's shoes. This, this son has told you, I wish you were dead, ran off made a wreck of his life, and you see him coming back, like, oh, this better be good, right? But, no, the, the dad, it says, feels compassion. I love this word in Greek. It's, it's esplogna, like his insides feel something for him, and he begins to run, which is, which is kind of a weird thing in that culture, like kids ran, dads did not run in that culture at all, which I think I think as a dad, we should kind of bring back because my kids can almost kind of outrun me right now. And I'm just going to fake an injury next time so they don't beat me. But this dad begins to run and meet him. And, and he gets emotional. Like he falls on his neck and begins to kiss him, embrace him. And the son tries to go into a speech like, I'm not worthy. Let me just kind of work for you. And the, the dad will hear nothing of it. He just doesn't even speak to him. He just kisses him, hugs him, and is like, servants, go get the fattened calf, kill it, do all these things bring a ring put on his finger like that is bringing back sonship the seal of the family you are my son again talk about extravagant prodigal this is a picture of God the father of Jesus love for us <laughs> even though Jesus allows sin to wreck us this next point Jesus has compassion for the repentant We've heard this word, right, in these couple of stories of the one that repents. There will be rejoicing. Those that repent. Peter says this in Acts 2 to the whole crowd. Repent and be baptized, every single one of you. It's this idea of turning from your life of sin, saying that is worthless. It does not define me. It's ruined me. It has wrecked me. My life is bankrupt because of that. And then putting your faith in Jesus, something way, way better. This is the call to you right now that are out there that maybe you have found yourself in that son's shoes. Sin has wrecked you. And you just need Jesus' compassion right now. You need the Father to come and just embrace you. Do you notice what's missing, though, in this third story? We've talked about how these three stories are similar, right? There's lost, found. In the first two stories, um, Jesus tells of something being lost and someone going out to look for that thing searching diligently in the house for the lost coin, going over fields and mountains for the lost 
sheep, but, but no one goes searching for this younger son. Now, if Jesus would have told this third story all by itself, of the prodigal son, and then ended it right there, it would have made sense to us, right? I mean, you know, there's, there's problem, conclusion, that everything is fine, but the two leading up stories kind of makes us wonder about how this story is missing something. And then, and then Jesus adds something onto this story and then makes it a cliffhanger. Look at verse 25 and on. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a, a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Remember, there's two sons in this story. The older son, you haven't really heard about until now. He's working, he's at home this whole time. All the property now belongs to him when his father dies. And he hears this party and this music and he begins to ask and he is angry. Now, in that culture, it was the job of the older son to go searching if someone ran off from the family. That's a twist on this story. To, to keep the family together, it was, it was, he was the one that was meant to go out and search diligently. But here, we have this great reversal that the father is going out to the older son searching for him. And, and maybe you can re relate or understand what this older son says. He says, you know, I've, I've served you. I've, I've, I've never disobeyed your command. I mean, notice he, he doesn't even call him brother. This is the son of yours. The younger son treated him terribly. He, the older son wasn't wrong. Older son has been good. Both sons are totally lost. They both only want the dad's stuff and not the dad. The younger son is lost by his crazy living. The older son is lost by being good. He served, never disobeyed. Maybe he, he, he grew up in church, had a good family. He never partied, smoked, toked, or rang with those who did. He he didn't have some amazing conversion story coming to church. I, I can relate to that. I mean, he just wants a party with a goat and his friends, right? So here's our last point this morning is that Jesus 
his heart, his love, that he even reaches out to those who are lost in religion. See, you can't be good enough for God. You can't say to God, I have served you so much, you owe me. I like this version of, of the, the Matthew um, 11. The, the message says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And this is where Jesus chooses to end the parable. The three stories. We don't know what happens to the older brother. It's a cliffhanger. Jesus is pleading to these Pharisees, these scribes here, to have compassion, to celebrate about the lost. This is the heart of Jesus, is that he has joy, he celebrates, he searches diligently, he finds value in you. Remember how I said that the older brother should have been the one searching? We should hear this story and long for an older brother in our own life when we mess things up to come searching for us. To bring us back into the family, as the father did, that grace is not free or, or cheap. It is expensive. The father in this story, what does he do? He kills the fattened calf, has this huge extravagant party. All the older son's future inheritance, right? It costs the older son a lot. There is a cost to this. We have this perfect older brother in Jesus Christ who paid this amazing cost for us on the cross. Whether you are lost in doing good stuff, being a good person, or lost in just living far away from Jesus, praise be to God that Jesus has come to save you. He has searched for you and opened his arms lovingly with grace toward you. Praise be to God. You pray with me now as we pray and, and worship our awesome, amazing God. Father, I praise and thank you that you did not leave us in our lostness, in our running away from you, or even in our goodness. But Father, you sent Jesus to be our Savior, to teach us through these parables about how truly lost we really are and how we need to be a welcoming uh, church, a community, a body to those that are least, last, lost, far away from you. But God, I confess, even myself, that I, I try and be good enough. I, I, I try to earn my own way or I try and find life in, in bad stuff. And so even as we prepare for Easter with this trust challenge, help us to trust in you more. As we feel that pain and anguish sometimes to know that you are the king of kings and there is no one else. 
God, we just praise you and love you and pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.